Welcome to Disability News and Views Radio with your host, Monica Mashenko, a mother and advocate of people with disabilities who is passionate about educating the public. Disability News and Views Radio provides a weekly forum for sharing the challenges, opportunities, and inspirational stories of people with disabilities around the globe. We welcome your participation on Disability News and Views Radio via questions, topic ideas, and comments emailed to Monica at DisabilityNewsRadio.com. And now, here's the host of Disability News and Views Radio and a fellow advocate of people with disabilities, Monica Mashenko. Hey, welcome to Disability News and Views. My name is Monica Mashenko, and uh, gee, we're heading into the home stretch here with October. And you know what I just realized? Um, am I clueless today or what? I forgot to turn back my clock. And I kept asking my son, why are the clocks so fast in the other room? Because they're battery operated. And I kept thinking, well, geez, maybe the batteries are low, but it's too, uh, I mean, come on, how many clocks in your house can all be behind, right? So we finally figured out that uh, we had to uh, turn our clocks back, which I'm happy we gained an hour, right? Uh, but now I'm mad that I got up when I did because <laughs> I could have slept in longer, right? Anyway, uh, welcome to Disability News and Views. Tonight we have a special guest on the radio show. His name is uh, Dr. Peter Flom. And I'm calling him Doctor because that's what he is. But he said I can call him Peter, too. Uh, Peter actually received his uh, PhD in psychometrics, which he was just telling me about. Those are... Uh, people that actually devise the tests that are out there, um, psychological tests. So he can talk a little bit more about that. Um, in 1999 from Fordham University, where he was a pre presidential fellow, he was a teaching assistant and also an adjunct professor while he was in graduate school. And he consults with students um, while they're writing dissertations. And he has a business actually doing that, statistical consulting services. Um, and besides that, Peter is writing a book, right, Peter? Yeah. Called uh, Screwed Up Somehow, But Not Stupid. And, and it's about NLD, which for those that are listening, nonverbal learning disorder. Peter, um, thanks for being on the show. And I know we had um, talked a few times back and forth about, you know, putting this together. And I'm happy we finally worked it all out here. That's good, yeah. Glad to be here. Or there, or wherever yeah. it is. We're, we're, we're here. We're, we're in cyberspace together, right? <laughs> we're, we're talking, and it's going out somewhere. Peter, um, let's talk about your background, and obviously your interest in um, writing this book. Which When do you anticipate the book coming out? I don't know. I have about 100 pages written. Okay. Uh, so, you know, I gradually am adding to it because I have a, a regular job and my consulting business and this and that, so it's, I don't have that much time to devote to the book, but, um, um, you know, it, uh, I don't know, and then after, you know, after I finish it, I have to find somebody to publish it, and then even then it doesn't come out instantly, so I'm not real sure when it would come out. Well, tell me why, what's the idea behind it all, what, what made you well, want to even write a book about NLD? Well, there's a bunch of, there's not a lot of resources for anybody with NLD. 
but for adults or older kids, there's just about nothing. Right. There's a number of books for, for parents or for little kids or middle school kids, things like that. Um, there's one book I know of about employment for people with NLD and Asperger's Syndrome. I, I, I had, wanted to, you know, she, um, that's by um, a friend of mine. She was on the radio show. Right, Ivana Fast. Right. Right. And um, I wanted to, that's a fine book. I, it's very good. But I wanted to cap this to a broader net and just talked about what life is like, uh, you know, once you're out of the school age type of thing. Um, because I gotta, you know, you can find some books, there's like Bathing NLD Superstars, and there's a, a number of books on, on kids with NLD. Um, but if you go into the adult section of the bookstore, you won't find anything. I know. Well, and even if, but do you think, Peter, it's because NLD is a new, a really relatively new um, diagnosis and, and a broad one in the sense that a lot of times people use it uh, to encompass um, Asperger's syndrome and other developmental disorders. Well, that's probably, I mean, part of it is that no, but part of it is that there's not a lot of services for any adult with any LD. That's true. I mean, you know, there's, uh, there's some stuff for dyslexia and there's some stuff for ADD, you know, there'll be a book or two on that. Um, but if you compare the kids' books to the adult books in ADD, I mean, the books are everywhere for kids. You know, there's like 20 or 30 at every Barnes and Noble. Um, and then if you look on the internet, there's even more. And there'll be a few for adults. And then with dyslexia, similarly, uh, you know, there's a lot of books overcoming dyslexia. I did this for dyslexia. But what about if you're an adult? How do you manage a, a, a disorder like that when you have a job? What kind of jobs are good or bad for people with that? And if you talk about a, a less known and less, maybe less common uh, disorder like NLD, there just isn't anything. Okay, well, Peter, that's the truth. Uh, obviously, there's a lot more people today that are being diagnosed. And as an adult, what do they do out there? I mean, there's no real supports and services. I don't know of many organizations even that focus on NLD. Um, well, there's, I mean, there are some organizations that focus on NLD. There's the Non-Verbal Learning Disabilities non Association, um, NLDA. Uh, but again, if you go to one of their conventions, a lot of the stuff will be for children and for parents and for teachers. Right. So, you know, how, how do, and that's fine. I mean, that's needed as well. But there'll be uh, much less material for adults. Is it, do you think, Peter, it's because... Um adults that have NLD have, quote, kind of just, you know, gotten into whatever their career is, whatever their life is, and they deal with it. And maybe some of them or many of them are misdiagnosed. Well, probably a lot of them are misdiagnosed because, you know, the diagnosis didn't even, no one had ever heard of it when I was a kid. Right. But um, I think a lot of uh, adults with NLD are underemployed or unemployed. Uh, they have less successful social lives than they might, they have tremendous problems with organization, uh, and all sorts of things. I mean, if you go, I'm on a, a couple of mailing lists on Yahoo, there's a NLD in common and an NLD adult, and if you listen on there, you know there's a lot of people, that people who have master's degrees and are doing adjunct, you know, adjunct professor, and there's nothing wrong with being adjunct professor, but it's an awful hard way to make a living. Right. Um, there's people who can't have it, who will have degrees but can't hold a job because they don't have the 
job skills to hold the job. I mean, I don't know how to cope with it. Sure. Um, but you know what, Peter, isn't that similar though? And, and I, I have this conversation a lot of times with adults with Asperger's because I know many um, who say that's the same thing as Asperger's syndrome. What, what defines the difference, the unique difference from NLD and Asperger's syndrome? Well, I mean, I'm not too big on exact diagnosis uh, because I don't think we know enough about any of this stuff to make exact diagnosis. You talk about medicine, then did somebody have a heart attack or did they have uh, something else that matter? You might have to treat them differently, one way they might die, the treatment might be totally radically different. So I don't think we know nearly enough to make such firm diagnosis. But, um, you know, one thing is that Asperger's syndrome people tend to have very uh, obsessive interests. You know, they'll, they'll get interested in one thing and pursue it uh, to incredible length. You know, uh, they'll know every single thing about license plates or something like that. Well, you know what's and funny? Other- You're right, because that's my son. Alex is 13, and I see his um, range of, of likes, which have changed over the years, by the way, Peter. You know, it doesn't mean that they're always going to be in license plates. But, like, for Alex, he's really into... Uh, wrestling right now and I mean the pro wrestling and he's really really into Yu-Gi-Oh so you know you you have those two in two years I don't know what what it will be right no the interest could change but it'll be obsessive interest in whatever it is right you know where they'll know I read about one kid somewhere he knew everything about James Taylor he was like four years old and he would all of James Taylor's songs, and he would only wear clothing that was like James Taylor's clothing. And it was really, you know, I mean, it would be kind of amusing if it isn't called such a thing. Yeah. NLD people don't tend to have that. Right. Um, and then NLD people, uh, I think, you know, some a lot of Asperger's type people tend to be very visual. And right. NLD people tend to be not visual at all. Okay. Like this. The woman you were talking, we were talking about before, Ivana Fess, on her website, it says, my world is words. Okay. That's very true of a lot of NLB people. Right. And, you know, um, Temple Grandin, who's a wonderful friend, and I love her, but she thinks in pictures. She's definitely a visual right. thinker. Right. So, and yeah. And that's totally unlike me, and it's totally unlike a lot of NLB people. So we sort of get to similar problems, similar right types of disabilities, but the solutions might be very different. I agree. Yeah, because if you, I mean, if you want to offer, if somebody thinks very visually, like Temple Grandin or or somebody else like her, then when she's having a problem, you want to offer a visual solution. Exactly. To me, a visual solution is a disaster. I mean, that makes the problem worse. Right. Um, And I think that's true of a lot of NLP people. Well, Peter, let's talk about when you actually realized, it sounds like you were older when you realized you had NLD, right? Well, I know I had learning disabilities. I mean, my mother started a school for me when I was five. Wow. Because I was clearly, uh, like I say in the book, uh, screwed up somehow, but not stupid. Right. Um, And back then, I mean, that was 42 years ago, they didn't have learning disabilities. I mean, and it was just starting to become known. Right. And my mother decided that I was not stupid, and she found an educator, a 
everything that isn't education, I'll start a school with you. And my mother said, you're on. So my mother did everything that wasn't education, and Elizabeth, for a long time, did everything that was education. Right. And uh, the school is still there, and it's a fairly well-known Gateway School of New York. That's and, wonderful. And uh, a nice place. What an insightful uh, mother. Um, look, 30, 40 years ago, come on. Um, a lot of parents would have just looked to the school in whatever district you're in and trusted. Yeah, well, I mean, a psychologist, when I was, I think, five, told my mother that, uh, to my parents, that I would never go to college. Uh, so that's quite a thing to tell anybody of a five-year-old. Uh, and I did actually go to college. Um, I graduated a couple years early from college, and I sent the guy an invitation to a party that my, my parents threw me a party for getting my bachelor's degree. That's awesome. And uh, what's that? That's awesome. And uh, he said he he couldn't attend, but he was glad that he was wrong. Well, that, well, that was at least something. But you know what, Peter? Unfortunately, um, kids still hear that, you know. Oh yeah, I mean, people. It, it's amazing what goes on. I mean, psychologists. I mean, my degree is in psychometric, which is part of psychology, and I'm certainly not knocking psychology, but the idea that anybody can predict what a five-year-old is going to be like when they're 18 is just ridiculous. I mean, it can't be done. Uh, you can play some odds, maybe. You can say, you know, certain kids um, are less likely, but unless the kid is, like, really profoundly retarded, then you, it's very hard to say anything at all. I agree. But, I agree. Well, you know, I don't like when people make those kinds of predictions because they're really sentencing a child almost because, you know, the parent buys into it, right? Because they look, they look at the psychologist like they're God. And yeah. uh, unfortunately, it sets a, a mindset of, of learning for the kid for the future. And you know what? I think people need to raise the bar. Come on. Well, I think... You know, a lot of people will, on the NLD in common or other places, will say, you know, can you be this and this? Or the test says he's this. I mean, if your parent, you know, as parents, you know your kid better than anybody who's given them two hours or four hours or even ten hours of testing. It's not like that's worthless. Mm -hmm. It can offer insight. But if you see things that the tester doesn't see, then, well, that's valuable too. Or they'll say, you know, can you be like this and like this? I remember one person asked, can you have uh, NLD and ABD? And I said, does your child have NLD and ABD? They said, yes. I said, and you can be. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. there it is. You are. So that's it. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the exact, again, like the exact diagnosis. I mean, if you listen to like Byron Rourke, who more or less coined the term NLD, uh, we're not supposed to have a sense of humor. Oh, sorry. I guess I have to go give mine back somewhere. I don't know. <laughs> or we're supposed to be bad at math. I'm a statistician, okay? Yeah. So I, I, I guess I don't fit that one. Uh, and, you know, we don't fit into people like... A diagnosis is like a box. And it could be useful. It could, you know, help you find support services, make you feel like you're not the only person like that in the world. Uh you can put books, uh, all sorts of things, but it's a box. And if the box doesn't fit, well, then the box 
wrong and you are right. And if you start saying, uh, if you start using the facts as a hint, if you're using the facts sort of to define who you are and say, oh, I can't be like this because I have this, you are who you are. I mean, I have traits of NLD. Probably the diagnosis was just me fast. I have some like, things, people have looked at me and said, oh, maybe you more like Asperger. And I said, eh, I don't know. People say, oh, well, you're a little bit, you've got some traits like an autistic person. I said, yeah, okay, fine. And then there's some areas where I'm pretty good and maybe even gifted. So fine, I'm like that too. And I have a 100% diagnosis of being Peter. And everybody else <laughs> has a 100% diagnosis of being them. And everything else is sort of a hodgepodge. Well, I mean, it sounds like, you know, what you're saying is so true. We're, we're kind of a gray area. Because, you know, honestly, when my son was younger, Peter, he definitely fit the Asperger syndrome in a big way. He had the social skills deficit. He had sensory integration issues. Um, and the speech for pragmatics, he needed intensive work for like five years. Uh, today, however, he's 13, Peter, and he hosts his own talk show on wrestling. He's been on, oh, you see. He's been on TV many times um, at, with interviews and, and very relaxed, by the way, for a kid. Most kids would be like, uh, and you know, and he's articulate. I mean, we're talking even when he was seven, eight, he, he would be able to, you know, just give great answers. Um, and I'm saying that those supports and services helped him immensely to overcome some of the challenges, but he is who he is, you know, like he still, he still has his little idiosyncrasies about certain things and, you know, those things may change, but I think, you know, he likes certain uh, things like you do. I, I think a lot of the, I think a lot of success for an healthy person is saying is to use your strengths to get over your weaknesses. I think like any LD, NLD or anything else, it's like a mountain between where you are and where you want to go. Right. And so if you see a mountain, there's a few things you can do. One is you say, ah, I didn't really want to go there anyway. Right. Okay. The trouble there is that you did want to go there, so you're lying to yourself, and that's not going to really work long term. Right. And a lot of well-meaning adults will see this kid struggling, and they'll say, well, just work harder, okay? And that's no good. Um, with an LD, they'll say that. With a, If somebody had said, was blind, you wouldn't say, well, if you just look harder, you'll start seeing. Uh, no, you would never say that to a blind person. That would be ridiculous. Well, it's the same thing to a lot of people with, with a learning disability. You say, try harder. They can't try harder because, well, we can't try harder because our brains don't do that. So yeah. rather than try to force us to do something we can't do, it's a lot better to try and figure out what I say is a way around the mouth. So like, for instance, um, I'm terrible. I go into a building, I'm walking along, come out of the building, I have no idea which way I'm supposed to go. Now, I've talked to uh, NT people, you know, neurotypical, uh, the acronym, people don't need an acronym, uh, NT people, and they don't have this problem. They just know. They don't think about it. They just know. But what I've done is two things. One is I try to remember which way the traffic was going. So I'll say, I'm go I have to, when I leave the building, I have to go against the traffic. And that works pretty well because it's verbal, and I'm pretty good verbally. Uh, or else, I know that in New York, anyway, the side 
side streets, odd number buildings are always on the north side of the street. Okay? So if I have in an odd number building, then I say, oh, I'm in an odd number building. If I'm facing away from an odd number building, it must be facing south. If I'm facing south, then I can turn around, I'll be facing north. And if I'm facing north, I know west and east by my hands. So I don't try to picture it, but I can't picture it. I just won't remember. Mm-hmm. But if I do that, then I will remember. Or organization. Organization is a huge problem for all of us NLD people. What I got, I got one of these palm pilots. And I think this is this is like the greatest invention for NLD people that I ever heard of. Because if it meant, first of all, it's one thing. So instead of having a date book, an address book, and this book, and a that book, so that you can lose all of them and write the wrong thing, you have one book, okay? And it's a little thing. It, it's backed up on your computer. So if you lose it, because, you know, hey, we're always losing things, you, you have some money, but you still have all your information. You can make it beep at you to remind you of appointments because you put an appointment down in the date book. Well, you have to remember that it's in there. Right. And that's a problem. Right. I mean, what good does it do to have you written down that, you know, whatever, uh, uh, you know, June 4th is, you have to go here. You don't look at the book and then you forget about it. Um, so it, for me, that's great. Um, and one of the things I want to explore in the book is this sort of, um, tricks to get around the difficulties. Um, I read about one guy, uh, he's a business man, he's in, in some big corporation, and when he's at meetings, uh, he talks too much, something that a lot of NLD people, including me, do a lot. And so what he did, he was getting in trouble for talking too much. So what he did is he got a colleague who he was friendly with to sit next to him at all these meetings, and he like tugs on his jacket a certain way when he's talking too much. Oh, that's smart. So yeah. he knows he won't be able to figure out socially when he's talking too much. He just can't do it. So he got a clue. Um, I was having this problem, and I'm on NLD in common, and I, one of the uh, parents of an, NT person, of an NLD person said, you know, when you're talking with your boss, uh, if your boss is in the meeting and you're at the meeting, never talk until your boss is talked first. <laughs> okay. I yeah. can remember that, yeah. you know, I won't be able to socially you know, figure it out, but I can do that. Okay. Um, or, uh, and I read, and again, okay, I read it, it's verbal. I read in an anthropology book that if two people look directly into each other's eyes for more than six seconds, they're about to either try to kill each other or make love. Wow. I, more than six it, seconds? Six seconds, okay? Wait a minute. Try this out, okay? Next time you want something, you know, you're No, 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 no. You know what? I, I, look at pe- I, look at pe- I look at people's eyes all the time when I talk to them, and I don't feel either way about those things. No, but you will look away, okay? You'll, you'll look at them for like four or five seconds, and then you'll glance away, and then you'll look back at them, and then you'll glance away again. Okay. You'll just do it. And if you try this out, and you really stare at a person's face while you're talking to them and you don't look away, you'll start to get nervous and they'll start to get nervous because they don't want to do those things with you. They just want to talk. Okay. Uh, You have to know where to look away. Right. So you can't turn around and look at the other wall while you're talking to somebody. You have to sort of glance away and then glance back again. Well, until I read this, I didn't realize it. And one of the real handicaps with NLP is the stuff that we're really bad at is the stuff that even the NT people, they don't know about it. And like, I learned to read when I was five, 
I've been reading very fluently ever since. I have a very hard time imagining what it's like to be at difficulty reading. Okay? But I know what it is. I know that if somebody says, oh, I'm dyslexic, I'm not going to suggest them as a, as a career as a literary agent. Right. You know? But because I know what reading is, and I know the jobs that involve reading. Yeah, but, but do, did you know, Peter, that Henry Winkler discovered he had dyslexia when he was 30 after having real challenges in school where all his teachers told him he'd never be anything? Went to college. Well, Henry Winkler. Yeah. He's dyslexic. Well, yeah, I mean, and again, there he is. He's an actor, right? So now somehow he has to learn his lines, right? Tapes them. Huh? He tapes them. He tapes them. You see, so he found a way around the mountain. Yes. And if you can do that with your lines, then how much reading do you have to do as an actor? Right, and Tom um, Cruise is the same thing. Right. So but with NLP, a lot of the issues are not so obviously defined. How do you tell people that you have difficulty uh, with facial expression? Okay, which is something a lot of NLP people, Asperger's people have a lot of difficulty reading facial expression. But people don't even know how they do that. You, uh, NLP people will read people's faces and body language automatically. Right. You never go to school, you know. You well, school, you have a but you know what, reading. Peter? You know what's it's true. Um, that there's actually software programs because I've used them. Um, there's there was one uh, a free one that I downloaded when Alex was really like five or six, and and it was to recognize facial changes because mm -hmm. the, the easy ones, you know, we know when somebody's smiling or mad, but it's the subtle ones. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, yeah, I don't even get the subtle ones. That you know, uh, I, I mean, I can tell if somebody's angry maybe or or happy. But then, you know, you'll read something and they'll say he had a quizzical expression on his face. And I know what quizzical means, but what a quizzical expression is, I got no idea. Or uh, I'll look at pictures and try to figure out what a person's emotion is. There was some test I took online, I forget what it was called, and I did abysmally badly because, you know, I'm no good at that. And then in real life, of course, you don't just look at the picture, you have to do it continuously because people's faces keep changing. At the same time, you have to be listening to them and doing all these other things, and so it just gets overwhelming. Right. Um, you know, I was thinking that you should talk to a friend of mine, um, Michael J. Carley, who started a really great organization in your area called GRASP, G-R-A-S-P. G-R-A-S-P. Yeah, and it's uh, for adults... Uh, with Asperger's syndrome, many of there's other people in the organization. I'm sure they're only adults, though, um, who, yeah. who have nonverbal learning disorders, and um, they have support groups. But they also do a lot of things together. It's a really good organization, and they have support groups that are springing up through this organization that he founded because he himself didn't know that he was uh, Asperger until his own son was diagnosed, his little boy. And then he uh -huh. realized, uh, guess what? You know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree, right? Right. So, hey, well, sure. I'd be, glad. I'd be very interested. I mean, you can email me the details if you got them. Sure, I will. Okay, great. So how did you know? So 
talk about some of the things you're going to be, we'll get some, I guess uh, we're going to get some uh, information before it's even published, but I'd love to hear some of the other points that you're going to be making in the book, uh, because it's really important to have this for adults. Well, um, like one of the things I said is I say, you know, you get NLP or any kind of diagnosis of an LP or whatever, I think there's like four stages of acceptance. And the first stage is uh, there's nothing wrong with me. There must be something wrong with you. Yeah. Right? Then, you know, so you got that. Then the second stage is uh, uh, there's something wrong with me. Everything stinks. I hate being alive. Maybe I'll kill myself. Uh, the third stage is there's something wrong with me. Let me tell you about it and tell you about it, tell you about it some more. And then you better do everything I want to accommodate me because I'm learning disabled. Right. And then the, the fourth stage, which once in a while I reach, I don't make any claims to being at the fourth stage all the time, is that there's something the matter with me. I better figure out how to deal with it and have a sense of humor about it because otherwise things aren't going to work very well. So if I could manage to stay at stage four all the time, I'd be a whole lot happier, but it doesn't work that way. You can't go to the stage and be there. But I think... That's a nice analogy because, you know, I mean, people talk about acceptance of grief, you know, if the person dies or something like that. But with NLD or any learning disability, you don't have that because there's no finality to it. You know, you still have it. You'll have it till I don't think you can cure any of these things. Um, but there's ways to get around it. There's ways to look at it with a sense of humor. Right. Uh, so you're you're a lot less serious now than you were five years ago. Yeah, I don't know if I've changed that much in the last five years, but certainly, like uh, twenty years ago, I was much more depressed a lot. Um, when I was a teenager, I was tremendously depressed. Why? Uh, well, because you know, teenage. I think adolescence is a really hard period for anybody, pretty much. Right. But it's an age when people want to fit in. Like, the goal of adolescence is to be just like everybody else. Right. Or at least just like your particular clique, you know. If you're an athlete, you don't have to be like the nerds, but you have to be like the athletes. And if you're a nerd, you better be like the nerds and not be like, you know, somebody in some other group. But if you don't fit in, it's a time where you... You, you were made to feel particularly uh, bad because the other teenagers are busy proving that they do fit in. And one of the ways they prove they don't fit in is by prove they do fit in is by defining the people who don't fit in. Right. Um, there's a really wonderful book, one of my favorites now, called by uh, uh, Rich Lavoy. Uh, it's so much work to be your friend. I've had him on and, my show. Oh, yeah? He's great. Yeah, I, I, I actually... I never met him, but his book, I think, is wonderful. It is. Um, it is. And he talks about that. But then you get to college, and I think the goal of a lot of people in college is to stand out. You know, a lot. The, there's a lot more uh, respect and even uh, desire for nonconformity among people in their 20s than among people in their teens. Right. So that helps a lot. And then after that, I mean... When you're an adult adult, you have a lot of choice that you don't have when you're a kid. Like, you get to choose who your friends are, okay? Um, most people hang out with people who are more or less like them. Uh, you know, I hang out at work, okay? Some of my friends are from work, and they're people who are mostly like me. Uh, and 
if I don't like somebody, well, I don't love everybody who I work with. Probably nobody likes every single person at work. And you know what? I don't have to go out with them. Uh, nobody's saying uh, I'll be friends with everybody. Uh, I have much more flexibility in how I organize my day. In high school, you have to do what you have what you have to do day after, you know all day long. Um, and that's not true in college, and it's much less true in work. I mean, you still have to do things, but it's not the same degree of regimentation. Right. Um, so I think, you know, part of it is just maturity. Of course. Well, you know what? Um, are you familiar with Dr. Tony Atwood? Yeah, I haven't read a lot of his stuff, but, I mean, I've seen, I've seen his, uh, I've, I've heard the name. He's great. He's, he's a wonderful friend and uh, psychologist of, and an author uh, of many books on Asperger's syndrome, but um, I had actually contacted him because my son was going through that middle school issue that you're talking about, you know, not feeling accepted. Um, and unfortunately, it's, you know, from when I was in school and, and you know, kids bullied then, but it's much worse today. Um, and yeah. kids on the Asperger autism NLD spectrum are all the kids with these invisible disabilities yeah. who are the victims of the bullies. And um, it got so bad for him, and I don't mean that he, um, he was bullied every day, but he said it was a subtle thing, and it happened in the halls at lunch or in, you know, gym. And, um, and while I tried to you know, speak with the administration and stuff and, and convince them to, you know, put a bullying program in place that was effective because what they were doing wasn't. You know, they kept saying the same thing, um, Peter. It's middle school. That's the way it is all around the country. And, you know, the deal. Um, well, it wasn't much longer after my son was, you know, maybe two, two, three months in school last year, Peter, where it got to the point where he was starting to um, create oh, sickness. Beeping. Is that my, is that your phone beeping? No, my phone's not beeping. Okay, hang on, I'm going to switch to another phone. Okay. okay. I'll, I'll, you can keep talking. All right, and, but it wasn't until um, a few months later he was creating a lot of illnesses. Uh-huh. And... I didn't realize at that time that it was really um, just to get out of going to school because my son was doing well academically. He had some friends, but he was actually on the honor roll at school. So, hello. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. And, and so yeah, what? I'm what, here. What ended up happening was he was even when he was in school, he was oftentimes at the nurses. Right. And he was trying to get out of this situation in school with 1,200 kids in middle school. Um, and it came to a point where in early January, and he begged me not to make him go to school. Begged me. Yeah. And I I pulled him out. Yeah, I mean, uh, that sort of thing is very common. Um, I never actually, I was miserable in school for a long time, but I never really did that sort of thing. But, um, um, it's very common in NLD, Asperger's, all those types of things, because, you know, you don't get it, and you can't even say what you don't get, uh, because you don't know. You know, it's like, it's these things that are going on around you, and you don't have any idea 
what they are because no one talks about them. Right. I said, if you have dyslexia or uh, dyscalculia and you can't do math, well, okay, that's a course that's taught in class and, you know, you take a class in math and these days, at least, if you're in a decent school, you have in one of those disabilities, they have some program and they'll teach you math a different way or something. You go to a resource room or whatever. But they don't have that for all these types of social things and visual things and organizational things. Um, that's just sort of presumed. Uh, how do I find my locker? Okay. Well, I mean, those are things that have to be built in into a child's IEP, which, by the way, I had all that stuff in there. My son had a full-time aide until he was in seventh grade. Right. So nowadays, you know, it's good that this stuff is becoming more known because some of it is getting addressed that way. But I don't know that even a full-time aide is going to, you know, it's, I don't know, I certainly don't think we're at the point where we have the, the, the best solutions for this that we're going to get. Because, um, well, here's an exercise that I, I suggest to some people, right? Take a television show. Now, watch it with your eyes closed, okay, and just the volume, and see what you get, okay? Then take the same show and watch it, but with the volume off, and see what you get, okay? And it's really interesting because so much stuff is coming in at you verbal, non-verbally. Right. Um, or take a... Uh, uh, you know, take the difference in your attitudes towards email and towards face-to-face communication and towards talking on the phone. Mm -hmm. okay? Well, imagine if all you got when you were face-to-face -face is what you get during email. Okay? That's kind of hard, but that's what a lot of NLP people are like. I love email because all of a sudden everything I'm bad at is gone. All it is is words, and I'm good at words. I can figure them out. I don't have to worry about, is the person smiling? Is the person moving? Is the person bored? Is the person happy? I don't want any of that stuff because it's just words. A lot of people hate email for the same reason, because it's just words, and they miss all that stuff that they get ordinarily. Right. Um, but to us NLDers, that's a big issue. Um, so, uh, you know, Peter, what are the things that you hope people will understand more about adults with NLD especially? Because there's a whole lot of kids, I think, that are coming through the pike here um, that are diagnosed with nonverbal learning disorders. Well, and and, they're, not, it, and they're, they're not understood. I think it's, it's very difficult for, for the friends and stuff. Um, one is, I mean, Calvin Trillman, who's the author and probably has no, no, no learning disability whatsoever, but he was married for whatever, a very long time, 40 years or something like that until his wife died. And uh, some people asked him what the success, secret of success is to a happy marriage. He said, wander into the right party, okay? Yeah. He met his wife at a party. He said, that was the secret. He just met the right person. That's so great. some of it is that. But I think uh, that, you know, if you... If you look, if you learn about the disorder, then you start to see what your colleague, friend, spouse, whatever, is not getting. Um, but it, it's very difficult because, like I said, it's all stuff that most people do without thinking. It's very hard to even think about. Mm -hmm. Do 
um, people with nonverbal learning disorders uh, are able to have good relationships with others? Yeah. I mean, I think I do all right. I mean, I'm married. I've been married uh, in June. It'll be 15 years. Uh, you know, is it, uh, I mean, I think like with anything, there are issues and there are problems and people are better at it or worse at it. Um, but yeah. Um, but your wife understands I, you. Well, uh, I guess you'd have to interview my wife. <laughs> 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 um, but I think, you know, part of the issue is, um, with, 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 uh, either, uh, romantic relationships or just friendships is just picking the right person. Um, you know, in friendships that haven't worked, I probably have fewer or friendships elsewhere. I probably have fewer than a lot of people, uh, have, but the people who I'm friends with put up with me because I guess they figure that the, the, the good parts outweigh the bad parts. Um, you know, they're willing to just help with, uh, the things I do wrong. And that's part of it. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think a lot of NLP people do have a lot of problems with relationships. Um, what was it like for what was it like for you growing up though, like especially in high school, college? Were you involved in dating at all? No, high school was just a wasteland. I mean, I didn't have any friends. I didn't have any. I had one date before I went to college, and that ended in a disaster. Uh, and even in college, I had very little. Um, because all of that stuff is done by, like one of the things a lot of NLP people have problems with is stages of relationships. Like, you don't go from uh, not knowing somebody to deep, meaningful friendship, whether romantic or not, in a day. Right. You know, it, you go through it gradually. On the other hand, nobody ever goes up to somebody and says, you know, I like you all right as a friend, but I don't really want to see you every day. Um, I mean, some of that happens, but that's not how it's communicated usually. It's all done subtly. It's done with body language, nonverbal communication, all sorts of ways that are very hard for NLP people to get. So that becomes a huge issue. Um, you know what? I have, I have a suggestion for a really good book to read. Yeah. And it's by Temple Grandin, too. Uh huh. And the other, the, I'm, I'm grabbing the book here as I'm, I'm talking to you. Sean Barron is a young gentleman, by the way, who is uh, a co author. And he has Asperger's syndrome, but the book is called Unwritten Rules of Social Relationships. Oh, yeah, yeah, I've heard of that book. It's a great book. Yeah. Here, and I mean, it was very insightful for me to look at their lives, both of them, you know, male and female. Yeah. And he more like my son in a lot of ways, uh, because it gives me kind of a roadmap of some of the, you know, the challenges. And I knew middle school was going to be bad. I just knew it. Okay. Um, and high school, I can't imagine would be great. Well, but it, I think, one of the things for parents to keep in mind, of course, is that adolescence ends. That's right. And adults know that because, you know, we all made it through. But yeah. when you're an adolescent, I think 
the same thing that makes adolescents think they're never going to die makes them think that adolescence is never going to end. They don't know that anything is going to get better. But the parents, I think, have to keep that in mind. I mean, I think the bottom was around age 15. After that, things started to get better. College was a lot better than high school. And work was a lot better than college. Um, a lot because, I mean, I had matured, but I think even more, my peers had matured. Sure. If I, had to, I don't want to hang out with high school students now, you know? Right. Uh, but but, but you I also, mean, but Peter, you also found your strengths, and uh, obviously you're a capable young man. Um, and you have a great future. Well, not so young anymore, anyway. But uh, well, you're, you're younger than I am. You're younger uh, than I. You're younger than I am. Well, okay, I guess that means young. Uh, you know, um, I found my strengths really early. Um, I mean, I knew what I was good at from very early in my life. I think part of the problem was figuring out. Uh, how to get around my weaknesses more than recognizing my strengths. So so that's important. Yeah, I mean, that's sort of the key is to try to figure out how to cope and uh, how to, you know, avoid your weaknesses where you can and cope with them where you cannot. Um, yeah. You know, like that's one of the things Ivana Fass mentioned in her book is how some careers are going to be better or worse for a lot of people with NLD. And don't you think that it's true that a lot of NLD people do well with their own businesses oftentimes? Um, I haven't known that many who do well with their own business because it requires so much organization and so much, in most businesses, so much of, uh, of this sort of getting to know someone very quickly. Um, I think that a lot of NLD people do well in academia because uh, especially not not you know not teaching grade school or high school but more teaching college, college yeah. they uh, uh, academic departments tend to be a little tolerant of oddity. Um, professors are not exactly known for being the sort of informist type. Um, right. I think some NLDers can do very well in places like Wall Street, if not not as salesmen but as analysts, because. If you can do that, people won't care about your social niceties. Um, I think that uh, NLD people can do well in research um, because, again, it's a job. In research jobs, you tend to get an assignment and then you go fulfill it, and you have to deal with that stuff. But that's the facts right. and the books, and then maybe give a report. But there's not the constant need for social interaction. Well, it's, it's, yeah, they're great at doing data. You know, it's uh, more scientific data, whether it's uh, engineering or, you know, chemical, right. whatever. Well, I read somewhere that jobs are about either uh, uh, people, information, or things. And NLD people do much better at the information stuff than at the people or the things. Right. We tend not to be mechanical. Like people who are great at things, you know, they become engineers or mechanics or plumbers or something like that. And they're great because, you know, they can figure out how this thing works, how to fix it, ding dong, they're done. Uh, and people who are great at, at, at people jobs, you know, actors, salesmen, um, businessmen, 
healthy people as an example tend to be good at the information stuff and you know I'm a statistician so I deal with people um, but a lot of the time that dealing with people isn't essential to my job they tell me what they need to know or I'll explain something to them but it's not the sort of interaction that demands a lot of subtle reading of, of uh, emotion and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I have or, a question for you. You know, Did you see the movie A Beautiful Mind? Yeah. Now, did you think that he, um, and of course Russell Crowe plays uh, the lead, but uh, not he, but you know, the, uh, the man that won the Nobel Prize. Uh, that the movie's based on. Do you think that he? I I I just got the impression as I I read the book and saw the movie that he while he had schizophrenic episodes episodes whatever um, that he actually was NLD. I guess I mean he had some traits of it certainly and a lot of people, uh, but maybe I don't know. I mean. It, from the book or the movie, it, it's hard to diagnose him like that. Um, he certainly had, had some traits of it, but I think people who are that gifted, people, you know, he, genius, obviously, often have significant problems with interaction because, well, I, I got very interested in, in extreme giftedness when I was in graduate school um, and college, and I think people who are at that sort of level are often so different that there's no connection. Well, I was reading about one kid. Uh, well, you who, you know that Albert Einstein's considered on the autism spectrum, right? Uh, Albert Einstein's considered what? He's actually been one to be considered on the autism spectrum. Oh uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I mean, he was a pretty, fairly social guy, though. Um, he had a lot of oddities about him, though. Look how he, I mean, his hair was always, uh, didn't care. Yeah, I mean, he didn't care about physical appearance, that's clear. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but you what, know, and what were you going to say, Peter? Huh? What were you going to say about in school? But, oh, yeah, I mean, these kids who, they don't, it's not, you know, some kids are smarter, some kids are uh, a little less smart. Some of these kids who are so precocious, it's not just that they're ahead of the crowd, they're different. I knew one, I read about one kid, he was like 10 years old, so for a hobby, he scooped up soil in his parents' backyard, and he analyzed the soil and learned the name of all the bugs, but he didn't just learn the names, he like just studied them and figured out the Latin name and the ecology. This is not something that a 10-year-old ordinarily won't do, but a 15-year-old will. This is something that nobody does. Right. Or a kid who got interested in uh, in uh, physics when he was a, a young teenager, and instead of just sort of being idly interested in it, he got a big wooden board and he nailed nails into it, and then they would put rubber bands on it in different positions and make charts of where the rubber bands would snap to when he removed different nails, and that's derived things. This is not something that normal children or normal adults do. We don't get like that. So if this is how your brain works, you know, if, that, if you're that sort of off the beaten path genius, then I think you're going to have traits of NLD, autism, whatever, just because you're, you're so different that you don't get a lot of people like that. They just don't get normal humans. 
Richard Feynman, who seemed to get normal humans and be a super genius. Do you but know? A lot of geniuses, they'll be like, they just have these problems dealing with the real world because nobody's like them. They don't have any peers. Right. If you're, you know, if you score 600 on the SAT, you know, 700 or something on the SAT when you're 12 years old, well, who's like you? You know, and let's say you find the five other people in the country who are that age and can score that well. Who's to say that they're like you in other ways? I mean, just because you're a genius at math doesn't mean you have all the other traits in common. Yeah. Um, so it, for that sort of unusualness, it's just very, very hard. Um, so when people start talking about, you know, this genius or that genius had this or that problem, I always look at it kind of skeptically because, I mean, clearly John Nash had schizophrenia. And he was just, you know, cuckoo some of the time. Um, you know, he had psychotic episodes, which, so far as I know, are not any more common with MLB than they are with anybody else. Um, but, um, you know, he, uh, he uh, I don't know about that old I um, had the opportunity to meet the real Rain Man, his name is Kim Peek. Uh-huh. And, and we were, you know, in, a, in an auditorium waiting for a conference, and he saw my name and and where I lived, and and I guess was looking at that. And I didn't know who he was, by the way. All I knew was that he was, you know, somewhat of an older man. He was a little older, but he was dressed not in. I mean, it wasn't awful, but it just didn't look like he was like today's dressing. Okay, it was a little old. Uh-huh. So he runs right up to me, and I mean literally right to my face, within an inch of my face. And he looks at my badge, and he starts reciting statistics to me. Doesn't say anything else but numbers. Mm -hmm. And I realized (laughs) that he was talking about the Buffalo Bills. Um, and then he was started asking me questions about them, and I didn't know the answers because he was talking about stuff from the '60s. <laughs> and then, you know, after he finished what he wanted to say, Peter, he just walked away from me. And but, but let me tell you the story about him because he's gone on to really make a difference, by the way, in people's lives. He is a person with autism for sure. But he's also a savant in 17 different subjects. That is not usual. And if anybody wants to learn more about him, he's really a unique person. But um, if he reads any book, he just reads it one time, Peter. And he has a huge library, by the way. He reads the book one time and then he turns the book so the spine is facing inside the book. Mm-hmm. And then he'll never touch the book again, but he knows everything in that book. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah, I mean, there are people like that. Now, I mean, there was a, a, a physicist, Murray Gelman, who does not have NLD as far as I know or anything, but he is a genius, and he can not only recite any book that he's ever read, but he can instantaneously translate them all into any up to something like a dozen languages that he speaks. Wow. So... Somebody said, all right, you know, he, he was saying this because I think he, he is not known as a modest human being. Um, and he was telling somebody this, and they said, all right, Murray, uh, let's hear Alice in Wonderland in Portuguese. And it just started, he just started saying it in wow. Portuguese. Wow. You know, 
so there, you know, I mean, that's why I think we have to be so careful with psychology because um, the human brain just goes through so many, such a wide spectrum. I mean, you've got these guys who can read a book and then they always know it forever, which I got not the slightest clue. I forget what I read. I mean, it's gone. Uh, you know, um, and you've got people who uh, can do math at such a level that's really rather remarkable and at the same time have these disabilities. Uh, there have been cases where, you know, kids who are autistic and are great artists, when they treat the autism, the ability in art goes away. So what's going on there? Uh, we don't know. And there's well, a lot that we don't know. But on the other hand, we know a lot more than we did 20 or 30 or 40 years ago. Right. I actually know some people that are on the spectrum or they're parents of kids with you know, autism spectrum disorders. And, and they're really against um, how people are saying... You know, let's find the cure because so much of who our kids are make them unique. And, and I wouldn't necessarily change my son uh, for who he is because he's got his great gifts and talents. And yes, I had to help him along the way with the pragmatics and reading visuals uh, for cues from faces. Those are important things to get him through life. Um, but I wouldn't change who he is, the makeup of who he is. Do you know what I'm saying? Well, I don't think we're in any danger of finding a cure for any of this stuff anytime soon anyway. Um, but I do know what you're saying. It's like um, somebody said on one of the boards that they said, I wouldn't wish the disability on my child, but now that I have a child with a disability, there's nothing that I'm going to change. And that's a good attitude. Um, you know, I think it's important to remember that it's a disability. It's not, and so that it's a disability because it's disabled. Um, but at the same time, it's not the whole of who anybody is. And, and that's I mean, true. People should look at people for who they are. Obviously, you know, most of the time when I have people on the show, uh, Peter, I don't even tell in my emails or even when I try to interview somebody, if they want to mention that they have a learning disability or a disability of any kind, that's totally up to them. Because you know what's more important for me is to talk about the gifts. Well, I mean, that's fine. I mean, people can be, you know, obviously you're not going to force somebody to mention something. But at the same time, I think that it, um, you, can, you can go too far in the other direction. Yeah. I mean, I, that's like, uh, you know, the people say that it's a learning difference. Now, okay, fine, you know, you call it what you want to call it. I'm not going to, I'm not going to get too frantic about it. But if you call it a difference, to me, a difference is something you might choose. Like, would you rather be artistic or mechanical, let's say? Right. Or, you know, would you rather be good at sports or music? Okay. So that's a difference. Um, a disability is something you wouldn't choose. Nobody's going to say, oh, great, I, yeah, I'd like to, uh, you know, or, you know, let's say a woman is pregnant and, uh, you know, you ask the woman, would you like for your child to be disabled? No, uh, you don't even Right, ask. and, you know, most okay. of, you're right, and most of the time when, you know, you hear women being interviewed for stories, it doesn't matter what, what it is, and it's over and over the same thing. 
Well, the baby's healthy. That's all that matters. Yeah, I mean, you know, you get the kid, uh, 10 fingers, 10 toes, and all the other things in the right spots. Um, and, you know, that's that. But I think you don't want to disregard the disability. You don't want to downplay it too much. But, but I think that does a disservice to everybody. But I Peter, think one Peter of the things, you know what? But Peter, huh? but Peter, the other issue, too, is while, you know, you have an invisible disability, obviously, right? A yeah. lot, and a lot of people do. If, if there's over 1.3 million kids just in our country with an autism spectrum disorder, okay? Think about this. 80% of people in the U.S. acquire their disability. They're not born with it. Because as we age, obviously, more things happen, right? And life is about having a disability I think it's natural to have a disability actually well I don't know 80 percent um, of people that have a disability are not born with them well how do they get them then well let, let's talk about it I mean we you know let's face it there's all kinds of do you, is MS something you're born with uh, I don't actually know. I don't think so. I mean, MS is something is usually acquired. People are all different ages. I mean, the interviews I've done, Terry Garr, for instance, who's been in Young Frankenstein and a myriad of movies, she has MS now. Well, she did. Right. Well, I know. I mean, I don't know. I don't know anything about MS, really. Well, um, I'm just saying, like, there's certain areas, like in our area, New York State, Western New York. There's a high percentage of people that acquire MS. All right. I mean, and I, can, I don't really know anything about MS, so I can't and, really and, say or, anything. Or there's heart attacks here. Much, many more people have heart attacks. More, there's a, I well, guess. Heart attack is not a disability. Yeah, I know, but I'm just trying to point out. Oh, I think eighty per, that eighty percent number, by the way, and I can send you the documents on that because I've had other people ask me where are you getting the number from. Well, because I've gleaned it from the Census Bureau. Um, think about this: environmental factors play a huge role in disabilities. Huge. Well, I think you know I don't really know, and uh, I don't think with learning disabilities, I don't think anyone really knows. Um, you can get into some furious fights with people over whether and whether what's caused by, you know, uh, immunizations or toxic chemicals or this or right, that. Right. Um, I saw some study recently that said watching television causes autism. I know, I saw uh, that. I saw that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I think, and you know, I'm a statistician for a living. I think a lot of this stuff, the studies are horribly done, and they have to be. Because how could you do a, a controlled experiment on this stuff? You can't, okay? It's unethical, probably immoral, maybe impossible. So we're sort of looking at connections and trying to figure out what's going on. But it's very dangerous to go, I mean, there's a famous saying in statistics that correlation does not imply causation. So just because two things happen to be related doesn't mean one causes the other. Like for instance, Here's a good example. Uh, the more firemen who show up at a fire, the more damage the fire causes. Okay? 
so now if you looked at it just at that, you say the firemen are damaging things? No. You might try reaching and saying, well, yeah, because if there's more firemen, maybe they break down the doors with their actions? No, that's not it either. Bigger fires cause more damage and bigger fires have more firemen. Okay? Kids who have tutors get worse grades than kids who don't have tutors. Okay? You know what's going on there? Well, who hires tutors? Not kids with A's. Okay? Right. Getting all straight A's, you're not going to hire a tutor. Well, my favorite example, they found that astrological sign is related to IQ, but only in elementary school children, and less so for sixth graders than first graders. And by high school and adulthood, it fades completely. Really? Now, what on earth? Okay, very simple. Um, kids start school in September, and they have to be a certain age, whatever the cutoff is. Like in New York, I think you have to be five by January 1st of the year. Um, and so kids, young kids who are five or six or whatever, have had school for a lot different amount of time based on their astrological sign. Because were they born December 31st or were they born January 2nd? And so that's related to IQ because they've had more or less schooling, but it fades by the time they get older because the average amount of schooling balances out. So it's nothing it, to do with so, astrology at all. So it's a so, wash. It's a wash. Right. So you've got to be very careful when you start saying, "I don't know what causes learning this way." I think I'm pretty sure I was born this way. Um, I think most people with a learning disability are born the way they are from some sort of genetic thing or it may happen immediately after birth with, you know, there may be some connection with oxygen deprivation or something like that. But I think it happens awfully young. Um, on the other hand, I don't get to into cause. I don't really care. I mean, uh, I don't know much about neuroscience. I find it very hard to understand. And uh, I don't know that much about biology either. So I'm not that into that. I'm into trying to take a person who has this problem and say, how can you get around it? How can you cope? Wherever it came from. Yeah. Now, if they find something that, that, that deals with it and nobody has NLP again, that would be great. Um, you know, I think that would be terrific. But I don't think we're any point close to that. I don't either. Um, you know. Yeah, but I, I, you know, a lot of times, Peter, I think having, quote, a disability makes people who they are and unique. And yes, there's challenges, but don't a lot of people have challenges? Well, everybody has challenges. It's a question of what challenges and how big the challenges are. I mean, you don't grow up without getting kicked in the butt occasionally. Uh, you know, I mean, um, you don't everybody faces challenges and like somebody said that uh, the way to define the learning disability per, learning to say a person is to say more so because sure everybody has strengths and weaknesses you know nobody's equally able at everything we're more so we're really good at some things and really bad at others and if you take it even more more so then you get you know savant savant syndrome like the, the rain man guy who uh doesn't know how to talk to you, but can tell you that every book he's ever read, and at least if the movie is accurate, instantly count things up to 22,000 or whatever it is, and, and so on. Um, so we're not that bad, but we're that good. But, every, you know, we're more so than, well, like I took an IQ test when I was in uh, fourth, I was nine or ten years old or something like that, and I got subtest scores from 60 to 160. 
not going to ever have a job. Maybe it's an institution for you. I mean, that's pretty low IQ. If you're 160 and everything, then, well, you may go win the Nobel Prize or something like that. But if you're from 60 to 160, then you're learning disabled. Right. Yeah. And if you looked at the Rain Man guy, he would probably be untestable. You know, he probably just wouldn't be able to take the IQ test because, well, he might not be able to figure out how to do the instructions because he doesn't have the social skills just to listen. Right. Um, so, you know. Well, Peter, what I wanted to just uh, close out the interview with you. I could go on and on and talk to you. You're a really interesting guy, by the way. Thank you. And uh, let's talk about you and, and how people, if they want to reach you, do you want to give out your website? My website is uh, com. Okay. Uh, that right now, it has everything is in it. It's about my statistics business, but if you reach me there, you know, there's a there's a little link to, to, to contact me, and people can do that. Um, so, uh, you know, that's... Uh, um, and are you, uh, Peter, are you interested in getting information um, perhaps from other people that have NLD to contribute to your book? Yeah, sure. I mean, I've been doing a little bit of research on the NLD in common, which I think is a great resource. But if other people want to try to help... Um, or have ideas or, or thoughts, I'd be glad to hear from them. Okay. Um, so we that, can... You know, that's my website. My email is peterflomconsulting at mindspring.com. That's P-E-T-E-R-F-L-O-M, consulting, all one word, at mindspring.com. Um, but probably easier to go to my website because it's less to remember. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, that'd be fine. Okay, great. Screwed up somehow, but not stupid. And of course, um, I don't think you're screwed up, though. Well, uh, I think that I'm screwed up somehow, but not stupid. <laughs> <laughs> Peter, I mean this. I want you to be uh, in touch with me, especially as we draw closer to the book release. I don't think you'll have a problem getting a publisher. And if you need any help with it, I have tons of people I know. Okay, um, great. Thank I, you. I mean that um, just because so many people send books to me to look right. at, I'd be happy to give you some good names. But um, I think uh, it's been really great to have you on. You're the first person, honestly, um, that's focused on NLD. And I know that there's been um, some people that have asked me to specifically talk about that and have All guests right, on. Well, I hope that was helpful. So you were, and um, I'm going to send you some information in the email about GRASP and okay. um, uh, this one free software that you can download about facial expressions. It's really neat. Okay, terrific. All right, Peter, you have a great night. You too, thanks. Take care, bye-bye. <laughs> Peter Flom, uh, interesting man, and of course I call him a kid because he's younger than I am, huh? Um, and he is. So, Peter, thanks again for being on the radio show. Really interesting. Uh, make sure you go to his website, peterflom, F-L-O-M dot com, and um, you can find out more about him. And if you'd like to help him along with his book, I'm sure if somebody's out there listening, they have NLD screwed up somehow, but not stupid. That's the book he's writing. Uh, thanks again, Peter. We have to take a break, you know, because we've been chit-chatting here for over an hour. 
And Monica needs to really give um, some due credit to the wonderful sponsors. And then we'll be back to uh, close out the show in a minute. But we'll be back with more disability news and views. Since 1982, Autistic Services in Williamsville, New York, has served children and adults with autism and their families by providing individualized quality programs and services. Our staff is specially trained to meet the needs of individuals with autism. We offer a state-certified school program, adult programs, residential programs, case management, and other related programs and services. We also provide community outreach and trainings. For more information, call 716-631-5777 or visit us on the web at www.autisticservices.org. A recently patented invention by Dr. Phil Bate is showing great promise with brain problems like ADHD, insomnia, and depression. Using passive audio, this new invention can train brain waves exactly like EEG biofeedback treatments. It's been proven to be just as effective and costs much less. With a 100% guarantee you've got nothing to lose, visit drbait.com. You'll be glad you did. That's www.drbate.com. In an emergency, it's critical for your rescuers to know if you have diabetes, an allergy to medication, a heart problem, or any other medical condition. When you join MedicAlert, your emblem tells them about your condition and shows them the number to call for vital information from your medical file. MedicAlert membership, it's instant identification and so much more. Join now. Call 1-800-ID-ALERT. That's 1-800-ID-ALERT. generation um yeah that's a great song i could play that over and over and over but i don't want to do that right now because we've already um gone over our our time even though it's my show and i can 
three months to do what I want. But, you know, hey, I want to just get in a couple of announcements. We had a lot of rescheduling to do uh, basically because of the uh, storm that hit our area. And by the way, guys, don't feel sorry for people in Buffalo because, I mean, it was a really bad storm to go through. And But I've had mixed emotional kinds of messages from people like, why are you still there? Because it offers a lot of great things that other cities don't. Um, affordable housing, great schools, I mean really great schools. Uh, a lifestyle that you don't have to wait in line everywhere you go. You don't have to, uh, it takes 20 minutes for me to get from here, and I live in the suburbs, from here downtown, or if I wanna go to the airport, 15 minutes, I mean, we're talking pretty close. Um, and I think that you know, people that do have jobs here and, and, and are established live a, li a life that's pretty decent that they would not have in other places. So anyway, Buffalo people are very uh, close people and will go the extra mile for other people in the area. I'm not sure if that's true in other towns. Plus, we're I think we're really prepared for emergencies and things that happen. There's lots of other places, by the way, that have much more snow than we do. And, you know, people need to focus on the really nice things that this area offers um, besides beautiful architecture and um, lots of activities, art galleries and theater, uh, second to none restaurants that you can't. I've lived here my whole life. Okay. I have not been to many restaurants still in our area. Um, just because there's so many great restaurants. I think it's a salesperson's dream to come to Buffalo. When they come here, they love it because people are fun. There's lots to do. Great uh, sports town. We've got the Sabres who are making unbelievable history right now with winning uh, over and over and over. We have the Bills. We also have the Buffalo Sabres. And, um, you know, besides that, like I said, it, it affords people a lifestyle where they can have a really nice home for a quarter of what other people are paying for and um, they can still go on vacation and, and have kids in, that are in good schools in public schools uh, and there's great private schools too but a lot of people send their children to public schools here because they're good um, so anyway now I can get off of that I wanted to let everybody know that because of the storm though we had to reschedule <laughs> Um, the guests that we had so I if you keep uh, abreast on my website you'll see that we did change and I've got two guests coming up at nine o'clock tonight um, Jeff Clare and uh, John Miller both different companies you get to hear their interviews which I've taped earlier just because I'm trying to catch up make sure you tune in uh, to that tape and and of course Senator David Patterson was on last week you can listen to these shows download them their podcasts they're available also, uh, coming up on November 1, we're going to be speaking with um, Commissioner Christine Griffin, who is with the EEOC in Washington, D.C., and talking to her about disability rights for people with, uh, that are employed and, and what the EEOC does. And, of course, hiring people with disabilities is a big issue. Uh, so we'll be talking about uh, that with her. And then, oh gosh, I've got so many other people that are coming up. Honestly, I can't keep up. Um, I need help. But also, 
I wanted to tell you guys some really exciting news that we finally are, are getting this off the ground and I'm excited about it. I hope that by letting you know at this venture, at this uh, joint venture of what we're going to be doing, we're going to be taking the radio show on the road um, in 2007 and I am really excited. Why? Because we're going to get to meet people face to face in different parts of the country um, and learn about the disability community, how they're being treated, what's new in their area, um, and, and talk to agencies and, and people that have products and services um, that help people with disabilities along the way. So we're going to be starting this, um, and, it's, and the, the new uh, year-long adventure is going to be called Taking It to the Streets, and I know that sounds like, it's a Michael McDonald song, by the way, who I love. Um, and I think it really reflects what we're going to be doing. Going in an RV, which we are still um, trying to find a, a great RV dealer who wants to donate this to uh, us for this year-long trip. And taking it to the streets uh, will be again so that we can really um, meet people and, and not just be sitting in our area and obviously I, I can meet people on the phone but um, it's really different when you go to the cities and, and the towns across America to meet people with disabilities or people that like I said provide products and services for people with disabilities so we're looking forward to it and if you want to get involved and be part of um, our plans really and I'm talking about people that own restaurants, if you're if a travel agency, hotel cars, uh, van rentals, any therapeutic uh, businesses, cell phones, uh, computers, any service providers, and disability organizations. If I mean, and those are just some off the top of my head. Uh, it, please call us and and get involved. There's various levels of sponsorship that are available right now. We're really uh, trying to keep the, the number lower just so we can get more people involved. Um, give me a call 716-522-9185 or email Monica at disabilitynewsradio.com. I'm really excited about it. Again, taking it to the streets, going in the RV for 2007 and taking disability news and views on the road so that we can um, learn more about you and, and find out more about what you're doing in towns all across the country. Um, so that's my, I guess my last bit of news, but it's my excitement. My, my uh, hope is that this is going to get started in January and we'll be off and running. Um, so thanks again for listening to Peter Flom. He was really interesting. I have to close out the show because it's time to, and I've got to get two other uh, interviews going here, guys. Have a great night. Thank you so much for being a part of Disability News and Views. If you have any questions, give me a call. Again, uh, my number is 716-522-9185. And we'll be back um, again. I think it's on Wednesday. We're going to be back, which is November 1st. And um, stay tuned for more. Have a great, great Remember, our talk 
makes a difference. Will you? Thank you for listening to Disability News and Views Radio, a weekly forum for sharing the challenges, opportunities, and inspirational stories of the disabled around the globe. This production is copyrighted, and no part of this production may be rebroadcast or retransmitted in whole or in part without the expressed written consent of the producer. Some of the opinions expressed by guests on Disability News and Views Radio do not necessarily represent those of the producers. Disability News and Views Radio. Our talk makes a difference. Will you? Email your questions, topic ideas, or comments to monica at disabilitynewsradio.com. Advertising inquiries to Disability News and Views Radio are welcomed. Please contact our sales office in the United States at 716-522-9185. Okay. Go ahead. Hi, this is Josh Blue, and you're listening to Disability News.